This episode is brought to you by my company, my agency, Aloha.agency. That's like Aloha without the H. A-L-O-A.agency, a digital marketing agency that helps everybody with everything in the digital domain, from website design and building to e-commerce sites to videos, social media, video, 3D design, industrial design, and just literally everything that a brand or a nonprofit or a purpose-driven organization needs to grow and to sustain themselves and to just look awesome in the digital space. So if you are interested or if you know somebody who might need these kinds of services, check out our website, aloha.agency. That's A-L-O-A dot agency. Hi, my name is Fabian De La Fuente, and I be the often path by bringing new innovations into a reality. Maybe they work, maybe they don't work, but that's my job to bring them to reality. Today, I'm honored to have Fabian De La Fuente joining us. Fabian is a six-time serial entrepreneur with a 33-year history in technology innovation, holding over 100 patents in software, electronics, and photovoltaics. He has led diverse teams on four continents and launched numerous technology products globally. As the co-founder and CEO of Solaire Enterprises, Inc., a Canadian clean tech company, he is now pioneering the development of perovskite-based solar cells, aiming for higher efficiency and sustainability in solar energy, something that is badly needed right now. If you're wondering what it takes to build and scale and sell a business in the eco space today, this episode is for you. So here's Fabian De La Fuente, I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Welcome to the show, Fabian. It's so great to have you here. You have brought a lot of new innovations in the world. I think you have something like a hundred patents. Is that right? Uh, yes, that is right. Uh, so I was born an, an inventor. I was born in Mexico, and there's lots of lots of innovation happening in Mexico, especially because you need to create your own things sometimes. And uh, and I I learned how to write patents, and um, I I studied to be a patent agent, so I could write my own patents, and uh, I was able to write all the patents, and that's why I have more than a hundred because they are very expensive. So you follow the Einstein route? You worked in the patent office, literally? I didn't. Uh, I didn't work at the patent <laughs> office, but I did uh, wor- work as a patent agent for my friends. So uh, friends will come to me with a with an idea, and we'll create a patent, and we'll draft it, and they will then they will file it. And so from that, you learned all of the ins and outs and how to do that for yourself. That's wild! How awesome! Yeah, yeah, that's how how I got into patent uh, writing. But it's uh, it's part of being an inventor that you need to patent your ideas. You're starting a company now called Solaire, uh, but this is not your first company. You have done many, many companies over the years. You've brought many products out. When did you first start inventing, and what's the beginning of your life as an inventor and entrepreneur? So as an inventor, I, I was very little when I started uh, working with um, things, uh, disassembling things, destroying things, and building new stuff, especially electronics. When it uh, when it took time, came time for me to select a career, I did it on the business side, not on the engineering side. But I was always working on uh, the engineering path. Uh, so that's when I started uh, bringing my ideas to life. And uh, it was in Mexico many years ago, like 20, 25 years ago, that I invented the iBoard, the interactive whiteboards that school uses. And uh, that was my first commercial invention. Before that, it was invention just to help me on everyday life. The very first one, the one that all the schools use, you invented the first one of those, really? 
Uh, yes. Uh, so there's different brands in the market. Of course, you don't. You are not the sole inventor of some things. Uh, there's mm-hmm. other companies that do it. But uh, my product was in many different uh, schools in Mexico, U.S., and Canada. Then there was a lot of Chinese competitors, and that's when I decided to sell the company. Got it. So what year was that that you started that? I started that in 2004. Okay. Uh, the first interactive whiteboards, we were using projectors. By 2010, we started using the LCD displays, uh, which is now what you see more often. Okay. So you've been at this for almost 20 years, seriously. And you think you were born an inventor, which is a very bold claim to make. So tell me about the early years. Were you always tinkering as a kid? Or how did you know that you were born to be an inventor to create stuff? I, I was always tinkering <laughs> with okay. things, and uh, I, I asked my parents to buy me um, uh, chemistry sets, and uh, then um, I went by myself to buy chemistry stuff, chemistry materials, and um, I remember I played a lot with mercury. <laughs> and, okay. uh, and, and, and I, you I, don't I have much longer it. left then, do you? <laughs> I How much did no you play idea. <laughs> and, um, and I bought a really, really dangerous stuff uh, at one time they didn't want it to sell it to me i was 12 i think and i brought my mom to buy it for me and and they sell it to her and, and then i grabbed it and i of course everybody wants to make bombs yeah. so that's what i was doing at that time <laughs> i have a similar story my grandpa was also a, a chemist he was a brilliant man a very very smart he wrote books on quantum physics and on chemistry and when i was a kid he introduced me to a lot of things he got me my first pocket knife when i was a child and he also tried to get me a chemistry set and we went to the mall and he was very upset that the chemistry set that they sold to kids in the mall didn't contain the ingredients to make gunpowder. He thought it was a bad chemistry set because, and they tried to tell him, they're like, sir, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we don't put that because apparently in his day, you could just get whatever. Yeah, in his days, actually, uh, I saw a chemistry set from the 1930s that had uh, one of the radioactive stuff. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. They're like, hey, play around with radiation, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's okay, yeah. Um, Okay, so you were always tinkering. You were playing with chemistry sets. You were building stuff. You created a product that was successful. Now, nowadays, you're working on a solar technology company, which is very interesting. And you are a carbon neutral company with Solaire, and you're obviously trying to usher in this new age of alternative energy, which I firmly believe in. At what point in your journey did you decide to switch towards something that was more eco-friendly or earth-friendly? Was that a passion that you had, or was that just something that evolved out of inventing and looking for business opportunities? It it was an evolution because um, I always started something and then get got bored and then changed to something completely different. Mm. So I started with the interactive whiteboards, then I moved to transparent displays uh, for marketing purposes, then I moved to components to components inside the electronics and now what we are doing here in Solaire we are doing the basic science so basically we, we change completely the science so we can make uh, solar modules that are able to power battery driven devices so for example you I don't know if you remember the solar calculators those things you never had to change or recharge the batteries and the question is why we don't see the same technology in everyday products and the reason why is because we need uh, new materials and technology to fulfill those requirements so that's what we are doing at Solaire we created a photovoltaic module that is capable of charging uh, battery driven devices 
devices. So right now we are starting with small devices like wireless keyboards, water faucets, and smart door locks. But we are also working with companies like Honda to create the next generation of solar electric vehicles. That's going to happen like in 10 years. But that's what we are doing. And, and it, it's only possible because we changed the chemistry on the solar modules we are using. That's awesome. I had one of those calculators. I used to type bad words into it. If you type 8,085 into it, it's a it's a bad word for kids in English. I'll let you figure that one out. <laughs> but I know the calculator the you're talking about. The interesting part is that you, you're still, you still remember the number. Oh, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Who doesn't? And I also remember going to Radio Shack and getting those little, you could get these tiny little uh, solar powered uh, just solar panels I remember getting from Radio Shack. And I also used to like motors and making a solar-powered fan and things like that. I would also kind of tinker with that. Too bad I wasted all of those skills in adulthood. But once upon a time, I was like you, maybe. Uh, and I tried to convert a uh, an electric car, a remote-controlled electric car that I had to solar-powered with stringing together some of these. But of course, I knew nothing about power demands. or I knew none of the technical specifications, so it didn't work. It was a complete failure. I just replaced the batteries with like I soldered in the, the solar panel and it just didn't do anything. And I was like, okay, screw that. But I remember uh, messing with that a lot in those days. W working at Solaris is basically what you are saying, but <laughs> with, a, with a difference because I have a team that backs me up. So mm. any crazy idea, I throw it to the team and they said, yeah, maybe it will work. Let's see. Let's see what happens. And they are the ones with the, with the knowledge uh, to do that. That's amazing. So what's the opportunity and what did you see? Uh, you, you were getting away from silicon-based solar panels. Why did you see that there was an opportunity there? And what's the idea with your new material? So silicon solar cells, which are the most common that you see everywhere in solar farms, solar rooftops, uh, they are considered clean energy, but to make them, they are very polluting. Uh, you need to start with digging sand, then burning that sand. Uh, you use a lot of fossil fuels to burn them. And then uh, you create lingots, and then you have to cool it down. So you use a lot of water to cool it down. And most of these processes, 98% are made in China. Mm. So then you need to ship them. And again, you, you, you contaminate, you create a lot of GHG emissions. And uh, and then you install it, and after you install it, then it's clean because. But then the problem is, after 20, 25 years, uh, they became uh, become a, a, again polluting because they uh, there's it's very complicated to recycle them. So what we said, okay, let's let's invent something that uh, is uh, has more energy conversion efficiency than silicon, that is less heavy, that is less polluting to manufacture and that it could uh, be recyclable. So that's why we started working with a material called perovskite, uh, and um, uh, which many different companies have worked with this for like 20 years. The problem is that they were not able to bring this product to market because there is a trade-off on perovskite between the energy conversion efficiency and the stability. If you increase the energy conversion efficiency, the stability goes down or the other way. We were able to stabilize that. So now we have uh, a 
a semiconductor ink, which is made of perovskite, that has high energy commercial efficiency and high stability and a, and a long shelf life. That is why we can now ma mass produce our devices, uh, which is something some of our competitors cannot do because every time they run a production line, they need to stop the line clean it, drain it, clean it, and then pour different ink on it. With our technology, you can just keep pouring ink and uh, and you can continue producing the, the devices. And That's amazing. We, we decided to go towards the indoor photovoltaic market and not the uh, outdoor market because lots of companies are focusing on uh, outdoor photovoltaics. However, very few companies are tackling the indoor photovoltaic market. That is to power like wireless headphones, um, uh, wireless keyboards, and any battery-driven device that receives light, uh, indoor light continuously, especially IoT devices like sensors and things like that. So there's enough light in everybody's home to power devices and they don't even realize it? Because I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about indoor solar power before. No, be actually, actually, it's, it's a very new segment, and we yeah. call it using wasted light because the light uh, that you have, you are you God, use it to that. see. Yeah. But but then the light that I have next to me, nobody's using it, so we use that wasted light. That's brilliant. Yeah. What is the upper limit of what that light could power? How big of a device could it charge a phone? Uh, it, it, all the electronics need to change. For example, it's not like I create a solar cell that I can put on a Tesla and it's going to power that. It's not going to work. Uh -huh. mm. What what needs to change is that now that we are going to have a solar rooftop on a vehicle uh, that is going to be constantly recharging a battery, uh, now you don't need a battery that big. And if you don't need a battery that big, then the the, the car becomes lighter. And if the car becomes lighter, then the power train, you don't need too much power. And then you don't need too much energy. Then the energy distribution system needs to change. So everything needs to change. Same with a cell phone. You cannot just put it, put a, cell, a solar panel on an iPhone and it's going to charge it. You need to go back to the basics, change everything inside. Now that you know that you're going to have a battery that is going to be constantly charging. Because right now, iPhones rely on a battery that is going to last two or three days charge. Right. But what if, if the battery lucky. is going to be constantly recharging? Then you don't have that problem. You, mm -hmm. you can use a smaller battery and then you can do different stuff. Are you still talking about putting some kind of cell or coating on the phone itself or are you charging it some other way? No, no, no. You, you need to put it on the, on the cell phone itself. So basically okay. you create a solar module that you install, you, you put on the, on the phone and that is uh, constantly recharging. We are not the first ones to do this. 15 years ago, remember that, that Nokia phone that the battery will last for like seven days? Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I still miss so, those days. It was amazing. <laughs> so I, and I bet you, you find one in a, in a drawer, you power it on. And it's oh, I'm sure it still works. Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> so, so that, if you put a solar cell on that, it, it's going to work. It's going to okay. charge it. It's a going phone to like that would work because yeah, yeah, that was the most disappointing thing about the release of the the smartphone back in those days. I could play yeah. Snake for six days in a row, and I would <laughs> still be able to call from anywhere in the world. I had an analog signal. I missed both of those things. Uh, and I think uh, for calling, it worked better than today's phones. Oh, for sure. You didn't need a digital. I could be in the middle of nowhere, and I would just pull up that antenna, brink, and I would get a signal, and I could make a phone call. Now it's like yeah. you know, you're always searching. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. So a phone like that more energy efficient so 
How many minutes or hours instead of a couple days would the battery be? Would it just be like a 15 minute battery, but everywhere you go that there's light, it's perpetually charging and therefore you don't have to worry about it? Or yeah, how do you so, see that working? So let, let me give you a, new, a use case. So let's say a wireless keyboard. You need to change uh, two AA batteries uh, once every six to 12 months. Sure. Uh, with our technology, you don't need two AA batteries. You just need a small battery or capacitor that is constantly recharging. Because there's going to be times when there's not going to be too much light or something. So, um, so you change that. By doing that, what happens is the manufacturer of the keyboard doesn't need to acquire that many batteries, and the weight of the keyboard is reduced for transportation. And when the consumer buys it, now they know that they are not going to be polluting because they don't need to throw away like 20 batteries on a five-year lifetime. And it relieves them from the pain of every six months to charge the battery so mm. so basically you just leave it there the, the the keyboard is constantly recharging and that's the idea and it's going to make a whole new category of horror movies where if somebody's left in the dark they have five minutes until all of their technology stops working <laughs> yeah something like that but <laughs> you can should... ruin somebody's life just by putting them in a closet for a few minutes yeah so that that's a different use case <laughs> No, I'm just, it's like, and the whole thing was dismantled in one sentence. No, but it's brilliant because I love the way you are thinking about this in a way that very, very few people are. You're thinking about these second and third order benefits and these knock-on effects from doing this that very few people seem to be contemplating when they talk about stuff like this. Because again, we know that shipping is a big deal. We know that logistics and transportation and all of these other areas around clean energy and around the devices in our life, these are giant polluting factors. These are giant uh, wastes of carbon and energy and fossil fuels. So it's very interesting to me that you have a more holistic view of how we can reduce across the board with a few simple changes. When did you start seeing things like that? Uh, about three years ago, when the pandemic started, mm -hmm. uh, it got you lots of time to think. Mm -hmm. And um, and I learned that Apple was releasing some software on the phones that, depending on your geographic location, it was going to charge your phone at different times, at different speeds, uh, based on the type of um, uh, energy uh, generation. Like if it was fossil fuels, it will wait, it will charge it faster at nights than on, on days and things like that. Here in British Columbia, we have a hydro, uh, so so it's always clean, so it doesn't matter. And then there was some studies on Apple, like saying, yeah, one phone is very little, but if you multiply that, but the millions of phones that are sold every year, now it makes sense. Mm. So I said, okay, yeah, now if we power some very small, because when I was talking with some investors three years ago, they will say to me, why will I want my phone to be charged with solar? I don't care. Mm. I can just plug it in and charge it. Right. And now we, we learn the difference. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it's truly amazing. And while it's good to congratulate, I see these things, positive news come out every so often about, you know, Portugal ran completely on sustainable energy for a couple hours or a couple days or 40% of energy over here is coming from renewable and sustainable sources. And all of that is really great. Really, really great. But I think very few people realize, and I certainly didn't realize before a few years ago, 
how much waste is accumulating and how much happens after we build stuff. And even to build a windmill requires non-renewable resources between steel and plastic and ammonia. There are fundamental resources that go into all of our processes, even if it's green energy or not. And shipping things requires fossil fuels. And all of the concrete, all of these buildings that we build, like we're seeing in China right now, what happens if nobody lives in those buildings? Or what if that concrete uh, starts breaking apart? We just have masses of garbage and concrete garbage and uh, leftover solar panels and e-waste and computer waste. And these things don't live forever. And uh, very few people seem to be talking about that side of things. And it seems to me like we don't really have a plan much for dealing with the creation side of green energy or the disposal side of green energy. But you could argue that both of those are as important, in my opinion at least, as the creating of the green energy itself. Do you agree with that? 100%. So uh, since uh, the inception of the company, we saw that problem and we said, okay, we need to only use recyclable materials and we need to create an extremely easy manufacturing process that doesn't require any solvents that are not green and that is not polluting and that we can do it at ambient temp uh, and ambient conditions and that's what we uh, that's the task we gave to our scientists and they came out with very good solutions and that's what we are doing today wow that's amazing and do you think it's scalable do you think that this is it's, truly it's a completely scalable we we just uh, opened a, a pilot uh, production line here in victoria and uh, actually my office is sitting here and yeah now we are producing those in uh, alpha mo modules uh, that um, that we are shipping to our customers that's so cool. So I want to get to the use case of the car, because there are a few car manufacturers who are making cars that have a solar panel on the top. And obviously, that's better than nothing in the sense that you wouldn't get just completely stranded somewhere. But obviously, it's limited in usefulness and that you have to leave your car outside for a matter of days to get a small percentage of a charge. Very different than I never need to plug in my car ever again. But it sounds to me, like you said earlier, in 10 years, you think we might get to a place where you don't need to plug in a car ever again. I, I, I always uh, joke about this because uh, this is coming from Honda Motors in Japan. Yeah. And they set up a goal to do it in 10 years. And I always say to my investors, like, if in 10 years they don't do it, they are going to do Harakiri to them. So they better come out with a, <laughs> with a solution. So what you're saying is you can always rely on Japanese car manufacturers. Yeah, exactly. Because, it's, uh, yeah, they, they will do it. Well, that's kind of what you like to hear when it comes to stuff of the environment. You like to hear that somebody is that determined because all otherwise we keep kicking the can down the road. And it's like, oh, we missed our deadline. Let's just set another one 30 years in advance. Let's set another one 40 years in advance. But the reality is we just might not have that much time, right? Yeah, you, you, you can see now golf carts, electric power, uh, solar powered. So it's just a matter of just scaling that a little bit and that's it. That is so exciting. So do you consider yourself an optimist about the future or a pessimist? What Extremely do you think about the state? Extremely optimist. And my, Extremely my, optimistic. My, okay. my team is mostly scientists. Yeah. And they are inside the box. So, yeah, we have some challenges there. All right. How can you teach me to be more optimistic about the future in a world with so much bad news? 
Oh, I basically just go with my instinct, like, yeah, let's do this, it's possible. When when somebody comes to me with a problem, I, I see it as a challenge, not a problem. And everything has a solution, one way or another, or just uh, to see it in an optimistic way, so, yeah. Do you feel like that you've always had that, or is that something you've had to cultivate? Yeah, always, 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 and and that's that's an inventor. In, an inventor needs to think that, yeah, yeah. You're, sometimes your inventions make sense, but they have no useful use. It's like nobody's going to use it, but it's it's a cool invention. And mm. I remember a, a cartoon I saw with a guy pitching their ideas to their investors and the investors just don't care and and the inventor is really happy showing all the inventions like and that's it that's that's an inventor do you think that describes you <laughs> that yeah that you describes are? me because i i have to deal with other people yeah. to to stop me like okay fabian fabian hold your horses let's let's see if this is real this is something that useful if not let's not do it well, the last I read, and maybe that number's out of date, you raised over $6 million for this new uh, venture that might be out of date. Uh, how did, has that been for you, raising capital for your inventions? Do you have a hard time getting people on board with your vision of the future, or do you find that that's that, relatively that's easy? That's interesting, because before this venture, I was always the CTO of the companies I funded. So there was somebody taking care of the business, and I was just taking care of my of my engineering, uh, doing the stuff. This time was different because I have I, when I started this company, I had no idea on the science. I didn't understand the science. It took me like a year and a half to really understand what we were really really doing. And um, so, when I'm sorry, one thing about me, my memory is short-term memory is very bad. What was the question? Uh, whether raising funding, was, raising funding was easy or not. And don't okay. challenge me on my short-term memory. You're not allowed to do that because I'm not allowed to look bad on my own show. I'm always going to edit it to make me look best. Just oh, okay, be advised. That's good. Because if you ask me that, I might go like, uh, I wasn't paying attention. Oh, look, a butterfly. Um, no. Yeah. Whew, thank I goodness I remember that one. forget. So when, when raising funds... Um, uh, I started raising funds. Raising one million is very easy because mm. you just go with friends and family. You just go with people that trust you and you can raise the million. Raising four million, that's complicated because you, you have just a limited number of friends and people who, and wealthy people that know you. And then you have to go to venture capitals uh, or angel, big angel investors. And that's when the problem starts because you need to really, really come with very good ideas, very good uh, business plans. So to date, we have raised uh, thirteen million dollars, um, and right now we are raising we are raising four million dollars, mm. and uh, yeah, and it's it's tough. The the longer the more money you want, it's it's a little bit more complicated to raise. One million, easy. That, oh, no. <laughs> that's okay. what I that's tell every every entrepreneur. When you start, yeah. if you have a good idea, you have a good business plan, you you have a vision, you are compromised with your company, you have a good team, you have a good idea, and the timing is perfect. Raising five hundred to a million, that's easy. Mm. Uh, the, the the rest is a little bit more complex. So when I think about building a business, or at least when I used to think about that, and I think maybe many people feel the same way. You think, I'm good at baking cakes, so therefore I should open a bakery. Or I'm good at graphic design, so I should make a graphic design company. 
What does it take to decide to make a company around something that you know that you're not good at? Like, I know I'm not a football player. What makes me decide to build the equivalent of a company of a professional football player? Yeah, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Um, so if you are good at just doing one thing and you don't you don't want to move out of your comfort zone, eh, maybe just work for somebody and, and help them do that. Or build a team and do that, but don't, do, don't grow because that's when the problems start. So when you are an entrepreneur, you have an idea, and you you need the first thing that you need is to find a team um, that that will help you take it to the next level. Easy things maybe you can do it yourself. Things like what we are doing at Solaire, it's really complex. When we started, I I said to my friends like. This is not even rocket science because rocket science is solved. We we have uh, the human, humans have put yeah rockets uh, to the moon. Elon That's Musk. easy. But what we do are that. doing right now, nobody has done it, mm. and that's the problem. So we had to change the science, and 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 then scientists they are always like, yeah, we can do this much, and and you have to push them like, no, 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 I want you to do all this. So it's huh. a little bit different. So in your case, if you're assembling that team, are you just paying those salaries from day one? And is that what the investment go towards? You're saying, okay, I want you to come around. You have to start paying your people from the first minute, right? And is that why you yep. need investment upfront? So um, thanks to God, I, I'm a six-time serial entrepreneur. So serial entrepreneur means I created a business, I built it, and then I sold it. And and then you, had, you have some money. And uh, after two or three of those, you already cover all your basic needs, uh, house, nice car, uh, send your kids to study abroad, uh, travel, whatever you want. Four, five, and six is just money to play. Mm. Uh, so, so, so then you use your money to play. So when I started this company, I put some money into it uh, with my co-founder. We said, okay, let's build our our profiles. We need one guy who knows about this. We need one guy who knows about this. We need a girl that knows about marketing. So we start hiring the people, and then uh, we start building this. So yeah. Okay. And that is a trend that we we tend to see from the entrepreneurs who do it well. They start and they get a little win from their first venture. And then they use that. Let's say they, they get a million dollars from their first. And then they use that to get 10 from the next. And then if you keep that up for 10 years, you can have a multi-billion dollar company. I mean, obviously, that's what happened with the biggest entrepreneurs in the world. Uh, is that something that you think gets more logical and easy as you climb that ladder, so to speak? Or no. is it just as hard to build that larger company it, now it, as it was to start your it, first? It gets easier because now you have credibility. So people will say, hey, this guy built this before and, and it was very successful. Why not? Uh, why not help him build this ne next thing? So that's how you have you, ca you have uh, friends that will will trust on you and then will invest in you, and uh, and friends who will help you towards the way. Maybe not with money, but with advice or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so so it's mo basically you you build credibility to towards your your road, and every step you build a network so uh some in this in this venture i'm relying on people that i met for my network 10 years ago and if i need something in china i know who to call in taiwan i know who to call and uh and, and it's impressive because they are still in the same job so it's easier to reach them <laughs> that's a good point i'm going to put in my calendar right now remind me in 10 years to contact fabian when i need something <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna hold you to it. This is planting the seed. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. But no, that's that is that is truly fascinating. So you mentioned that you changed your focus, and you say I get bored with things very quickly. Do you, when you start a company, do you have the intention in mind of selling it after a few years, or Always. do you think? Okay, always. You, you always. never think I'm going to stick with this, ride it till the end. No, that that uh, investors we call it lifestyle life lifestyle company. Okay. Uh, no, we don't. I don't like that, and investors don't like that because then they don't make money. The way investors make money is by the exit. That that's when you make the real money. Uh, mm. You don't make money by selling photovoltaic modules and getting uh, royalties on that. It's it's just part of the play. The big mm. money comes on your exit. So what's your internal time frame then? What do you think from start to exit? What's your target? Does it vary project to project? It, it varies, but not much. Uh, okay. What we are doing right now is deep tech. So that means uh, three and a half years, we have a, a, a minimum viable product. But if you are in software, eh, you can have the minimum viable product in six months. So that's, that's the difference. So usually I, I will say it's five to seven years. Any company that goes over seven years and you have not been acquired, um, there, there's something strange there. Um, usually uh, we will start receiving off, offers to acquire the company three, four years into the, uh, into the company. Who wants to acquire you? Uh, either uh, a different government, uh, a, a competitor, or, uh, or a customer. They want to acquire you because they say, oh, there's a cool technology. I want this. I see future. Let's do it. Or uh, companies, for example, Halliburton is one of our uh, corporate investors. And uh, they, they, they are investing in us, uh, not just money, but also uh, support, uh, mentoring. And they are monitoring us. At some point, if we are interesting enough for them, they could be one of our acquirers. Wow, that's really amazing. And what year are you in in Solaire in that process? Uh, almost four years. Almost four. So you're getting yeah. you're getting close to the point yes, where you're but, thinking, but, okay, it's, it's it's almost time. Yeah, but th this is deep tech, so I'm I'm still saying three to four more years. Okay. Yeah. So you might allow an extra year. If it goes to eight, you won't be upset, but only because of this unique example. Yeah, but but we, we already start receiving soft offers to acquire mm. us. Still, the mm. value is not what we want. Mm. So, but yeah, we once we we have we, we own the indoor market, uh, mm. there will be other other offers. How I bet. cool is that? Yeah. So, what yeah. what would you say then motivates you? You mentioned you have some money extra to play or to invest or to have fun. What is your primary motivating factor? I get the sense that it is not just making more money for the sake of making more money, or, or is it? <laughs> every day is different, uh, so okay. so every day is a new challenge, and that's that's good, and that's why I don't get bored. Mm. Uh, so right now we just finished building our production line, our pilot line. That was a challenge for almost eleven months. So and now we just finished, and now we are having the re the regular maintenance problems. We just we just started last. Two weeks ago, working on it. Hmm. Um, actually, our scientists there, and uh, and we are still having problems today. Today's problem was, hey, the air compressor is also 
other than air is bringing some water. <laughs> so, uh -oh. Okay, so now we need to put a filter there. Okay. Uh, and every day is a different challenge. That that was today's challenge. Tomorrow's challenge is going to be another one. And, and then the customers will call you like, hey, Fabian, can I use this? How can I do that? And then we need to work on that to see. So every day is a different challenge. So at what point then do you know for yourself, having done it so many times, that you feel like you're on to something? At what point do you say, I think this is going to work? Is it after one year? Is it almost immediately? When do you believe, okay, yep, I've got it? Once you start uh, looking at something called product market fit, that mm -hmm. means people are buying your product. So, so you la you launch the company and people start buying your product and they start having very good reviews about your product and there's a, a word of mouth uh, about your product and you start receiving more purchases. That's when you say, yes, we did it and let's continue like this. Uh, and then uh, when the when the sales stale, you go like, okay, what happened here? If if was that just a fad? Uh, I just closed one of my companies. We sold I was it. Gonna ask? Yeah, because uh, we 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 knew the people were not buying. It was a, a smart seat and stand desk company called Ergonomics. Okay. And we figured out that people were buying our desks not because of the cool technology, but because they just needed a desk. They could have bought any <laughs> desk. Okay. So we go like, ah, okay, so we split the company. Yeah. One company goes for furniture business and the other one goes for technology. Okay. We are right now commercializing the technology and the furniture is gone. Okay. So you have shut some down before. You've gotten through the cycle and you yourself have said, no, this isn't going to make it. Yeah. So so if I'm saying six times serial entrepreneur, that means there's like 12 companies and they went under. Okay. 12. But you don't, you don't put that in your pedigree. Yeah. Okay. But it's important to note because lest you focus too much on survivorship bias. Otherwise, you know, there are some people, I just watched the Beyonce movie. I don't know if you've seen this. No, right? no I haven't. But you know about Beyonce, right? Only 42 years old. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Um, but you look at this person and you think that person has won everything she has ever entered into from the time she was seven years old, from the first beauty pageant she ever entered into to every middle school and high school thing. She just won continuously to getting a Grammy at the age of 17, to being loved by the whole world. Some people in the world just seem to win endlessly from the time that they're born. And if and sure, everybody has setbacks. That's obvious, of course, or challenges. But uh, it, I'm always fascinated on who seems to have that journey or like Tiger Woods all the way. First time he had a club in his hand, he was winning tournaments and then became one of the winningest golfers of all time. Some people just have that in them. So I think it is important to note the losses as well as the victories because that makes you more human that makes it seem like you're actually a real person versus some sort of demigod yeah. <laughs> which is good. yeah and and you learn you learn from that and you don't do it again <laughs> mm -hmm. would you say that you've like alternated is it like one win one loss one win or was there a period of several losses in a row where you started to question yourself and not exactly. So my wife did question it, like said, Fabian, get a job and don't don't do one of these again. Okay. And uh, but yeah, it's just you you have the tribe. You 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 want to do it. You want to continue doing it. And yes, yeah, sometimes you lose, and you lose uh, quite amount of money because you need to liquidate people. You need to to close shop and then uh, continue again. So yeah, so it's just part of the life. Hmm.
That makes sense. Mm. So where do you get your ideas from? I know one famous inventor <laughs> used to almost drown himself. I don't, you know that guy who I'm talking about? I think no. speaking of Honda, he was a Japanese guy. And he, uh-huh. he would basically put himself underwater uh-huh. and he would nearly kill himself by drowning himself. And the moment before he died, he would have all of his <laughs> ideas. Oh, my God. That's what he claimed. So, so it's, it's something very similar. All my okay. ideas come from my dreams. Wow. So if you give me a challenge that I'm interested in, uh, if I go to sleep and the next day I wake up, I may have solutions. Maybe it's not a good solution, but I will have ideas on how to solve that problem. So usually I uh, I go to sleep. If I if I have a problem, I, I go to sleep and the next day I'll, I'll bring all the ideas to life. And that's how most of my patents work got created. Uh, I had a dream and then next morning I'm typing everything in the computer and then I have a patent. Do you have any idea how envious of you I am right now? My my subconscious is trying to kill me. Every time I go to sleep, lions are attacking me or I'm running <laughs> naked through my old high school. But, but, <laughs> but that, that has a toll. For example, my short-term memory is extremely bad. Yeah. Uh, I think my, my brain is overloaded with information because that yeah. overload of information is where is where the ideas come from. So mm. if, if my brain was completely empty, then where will it pick up the ideas right but yeah Mm. that's basically how these things work that's fascinating because i have often wondered that i feel that a little bit myself i'm a little concerned about my memory too and i know people who remember every kid that they went to high school with every teacher they ever had and what those teachers talked about i don't remember any of that stuff at all but if you give me an IQ test, I'll do better than 99 plus percent of the population. So do these things go hand in hand or is it just some people like uh, us have uh, worse memory or is I it really it that if you're thinking on, about other it, stuff? Oh, that, I think it goes hand, hand on hand. Yeah, definitely. So it's not a deficiency. It's just a different no, wiring of the a, brain. Yeah, yeah. Well, different interpretations. Because you have so much stuff going on that it's hard to keep track. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you can tell me a joke and I will not laugh because I will not get it. But hours later, I will get it. <laughs> You're, go. You're like the sloth from Zootopia. I don't know if you've seen that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that's very funny. So your brain is in some ways always processing. I, I think I have that too. And when I look at somebody like these great comedians like Conan O'Brien, he seems to remember everything. He remembers oh, every yeah. face of every person and he remembers the credits from a TV show that happened in the 1980s and I think my god I would love to have that ability uh, and, and they are the moment, very fast to come with a, with ideas right there right. Like, oh I cannot do that right that kind of memory is different but then you have to imagine that in some sense as a problem solver you do have a different set of skills like a conan has no mastery of technology and probably couldn't resize a photo in photoshop and i try to remind myself of that sometimes but there are definitely moments where that i think having a fantastic memory and especially a memory for people and faces is Mm -hmm. really a superpower that's what i think yeah yeah definitely everybody has different superpowers But it, it, you're giving me comfort that I may still be successful with my own deficiency. <laughs> so that makes me happy. <laughs> I'll look to you. I'll say, I could still be rich and successful. Um, that's so cool. So what do you think then, as we approach the end of our hour here, what, what is the most exciting thing for you about the future? What are you most looking forward to personally in the next several years? 
Oh my god. Uh, so one is that we don't get destroyed by knocks from Russia or from the US. Or um, nuked, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So In that's Canada, one. that's uh, a very real, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, that, think about this. 200 years ago, literacy was like 1% of the population. Uh-huh. And not many ideas came. Only uh, the the big ideas came from that this 1%, right? Uh today literacy is about 100% in 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 mo- wow. in, in, in the industrialized countries, right? Yeah. And before all the ideas came from one guy like okay, who invented uh, Graham Bell? He invented the telephone. It was only him. Maybe he had a lab and some teams, but it was his idea. Yeah. Today's inventions, like today, like our invention, so there is not one person invention. It's many persons that had to come here and do all that work. And if you look at all the innovation, it's now teams. And now there's a lot of accelerators, incubators, helping all these ideas come to life. Uh, I was two years ago with DuPont. DuPont, they invented Velcro, Teflon, all these great they they Hundred told things. me we cut our r&d budget by half and the other half we we are using it for uh, mergers and acquisitions because we are we we prefer to buy startups like yours and integrate it into our portfolio because we know there's more ideas outside than inside our organization so they are letting people regular people come up with ideas develop their ideas pitch their ideas to to dupont if they like it let's say a better detergent they like it they will incubate you they will they will even help you sell your product see if it works and if it works they acquire you then you become a millionaire and they own your product they didn't have to invest in millions and millions of dollars on research and development they just get it and um, so that's what's happening right now so there's technologies that I ha- don't really understand. Like art- I use them, artificial intelligence. I use them a lot. Uh, right. Quantum computing. I don't. I don't even get it how it works. Uh-huh. Uh, before many years ago, I didn't understand how a television worked. And I used to work in a factory of televisions, and I didn't understand how televisions work. Today I understand. But quantum computer people explain it to me. No idea. No freaking idea. And there's so many technologies that. I will never understand. So, uh, so, so, future is going to advance really, really, really fast. So, we are going to see things that, uh, that that's what I'm thinking. We are going to see things that we cannot even imagine today. But does that, does that scare you at all? Does any part of that scare, or are you just purely excited for AI? I'm purely and... excited. There's <laughs> okay. going to be so many, so many. Uh, I had to pitch to, uh, to a group of people in, in England a product that didn't exist, uh, that they could finance us for that product. I had to create a, like a 20 slide pitch deck. All my images were created by AI because the product doesn't exist. And before that, I will have to ask my rendering guy to do it, and the rendering guy will take months to do all those images. AI, within one day, we had all the images we needed for the pitch. So yeah, it's it's great. good for you. Bad for the rendering guy. He's out of <laughs> yeah, a job. Yeah, ba- very bad. Very bad for the rendering guy. Uh, since you. we yeah. adopted use uh, GPT 3.5, uh, one engineer that I had helping me with patents, it's gone because I don't. I can have uh, Chat GPT uh, write for me the patent, the full patent. Uh, now oh. I don't need the engineer. Uh, the rendering, we don't need the rendering guys. 
we just we just ask uh, being image creator to do that. Wow. And is that best, would you say, for a, a model or an approximation of what you're going for? I mean, you wouldn't use that yet for a final product or like a marketing <laughs> asset, would you? you? You know something? Uh, sometimes AI does it better than we think. So we ask them, okay, create this, this, and this. And when, when we saw the final product, oh my God, it had things that we didn't even think about. So mm. it's even better. It's even better. But you would put that out as a, like a public-facing asset. How, is any part of your website uh, generated <laughs> from AI? No, no, no. No, no we okay. only use it for idea generation. Okay, for and, prototyping and idea yeah. generation and yeah. for being an imaginary wing. Okay, that's, that's good to know. I was curious because... I, the website photos look realistic to oh, me. Oh, no, no, they are say, real. If that was generated by Dolly or something like that, I'd say, <laughs> well, that would truly, we have crossed a threshold at that point. No. Um, well, that's that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, deep, deep admiration. Real quick before we wrap things up, what part of Mexico are you from? Uh, I was born in Mexico City, and okay. then when I was 13, I moved to Tijuana, border with San Diego, California. Nice. And then I spent 25 years there. Uh, I studied at Southwestern College. I was admitted in college when I was 15 years old. Wow. And... Um, so and, and yeah, and, and I was 15, so I cheated on the entrance exam, <laughs> and I got a very high, extremely high grade, and they just said, oh, you can skip all the 101s engineering, like, you can just go to the next Whoa. one. <laughs> well, yeah. it didn't hurt you any. I was just yeah. in Mexico City a couple months ago, that's why I asked. Beautiful. I really enjoyed my time there. Oh, okay. I have yeah, been to Tijuana, nice. but many years ago, I just, you know, hopped over for the day kind of thing from San Diego when I was doing a road trip in college, but no, Mexico City is nice. I had some great great restaurants there and part of my team lives in mexico city as well oh, part okay, of the that's good. people who work for my company live there and so it was good to go visit them and see it but that's why i asked we have a very strong mexican team and, and they're awesome so okay Sa saludos a mexico yeah, there you go i'll clip that out for them and the guy who's going to edit this video he's going to be very appreciative of that so his name is oscar <laughs> so oscar that one was for you man um but no it's been an absolute pleasure you have a very fascinating way of seeing the world and i think i've picked up a lot of interesting tidbits from our short conversation and uh, it's going to help I'm me think about about my own life i mean i'm building a digital agency right now and of course when you're in it i'm very much in it in terms of building something and i have the responsibilities of the team that's my life and sometimes that is very challenging especially these last few weeks it's been very mm -hmm. tough but the idea of building something to sell it versus building something and just sticking with it that also does kind of appeal to me because I think I'm like you in the sense that I also get bored after a time from doing something. And it, it's hard for me to imagine doing the same thing over and over and over again for decades. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of bits that you have given me that I'm going to take away from this. So thanks for your I'm perspective. I'm glad this was very successful for you. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> before we wrap it up, where can people find you and support your work? What would you like them to do? Oh, so uh, our website is solaris.net. I don't know how to spell that. I think it's S O L A I R E S. Dot yes. Net. I hope. <laughs> Thank you so <laughs> much. We'll put yeah. it on the screen. Or just Google, Google my name, Fabian de la Fuente, and um, yeah, it's either me or a crook from Argentina. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're a crook from Argentina. Yeah, I was Googling my name the other day, and there's a guy who bets money and owes people some money in Argentina. Are you sure it's just not you with uh, <laughs> yeah, before you had plastic <laughs> surgery? Maybe that's all part no. of it. He cheats his way into the entrance exam, he commits a whole bunch of crimes, gets plastic surgery, moves to British Columbia. <laughs> 
It all adds up. Changes his name from Fabian to Fabian. Yeah, and the problem is when when I when I got my citizenship here in Canada, I had to go to the police to check that I was not that guy. Uh, <laughs> they had to God. fingerprint me and send the fingerprints to to Argentina to see if I, if I was not that guy. Wow. All yeah. right. Well, if it's if, if you're good enough for the Canadian government, then I guess you're good enough for my podcast. So whew, we dodged the bullet. Uh, That's good. Yeah. What an interesting story. Fascinating. I wish you the best of luck in the next three or four years. I mean, I have no doubt you're going to pull it off. It's such a cool company. And again, thinking about the waste in the beginning and the end of these materials, making something that people see as green, even more green, thinking about the life cycle and the effects of all of these things. I hope that people who aren't trying to build a business will take that away from this episode and realize that reducing one thing over here could have impact in many other sectors. And I love the idea that everything is interconnected. So thank yep. you for that as well. And um, with that, the official podcast is over. All right, boyos and girlos. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with somebody who might want to hear it, who wants their mind blown. Post it on your social medias, rate it five stars, leave a nice comment. Let me know you heard it. Let me know you're out there. Drop a line. Hope you've been well, and I look forward to seeing you again in next week's installment of Beat the Off and Path. Take care. <laughs>